Hello everyone. I am here with Shiraz, who has written a book on a super interesting topic, rewriting reality. Yeah. So I definitely want to hear how that is done and I'm just can't wait to hear your insights. So take it away. Okay. <laughs> so uh, rewriting reality is, is something we actually do all the time but we're doing it unconsciously instead of consciously. And the book is about shifting it away from the unconscious to the conscious. Ooh. Yep. Is so, that similar to like manifestation? It is. So to get, to get very, very technical about it, they have done experiments in quantum physics where they set up a whole bunch of parameters and get a certain result. But then they found out that when you had different scientists run the experiments, you would actually get different results because the thoughts of the scientist affect things at a quantum level that cause different results to show up. So whatever that scientist expected to happen typically happened. And another scientist would have different expectations and that would result would happen. So oh they've proven that our thoughts affect the energy around us at a quantum level in anticipation of what we think is going to happen. That's amazing. Yeah. So when you take that to a macro level, if you expect to struggle again this month, like you have the last few months, you will unconsciously create that at a quantum level, have it manifest in your reality. And there you go. <laughs> so, okay. when, yeah. And when you get this, you realize how important it is to be aware of your thoughts right? To, to get into a space where you're feeling happier, we're expecting good outcomes until it becomes just who you are, right? And this is the hard part because right now you are addicted, physically addicted to your current circumstances. And so when you try to change them, you actually go into withdrawal and get pulled mm -hmm. back a lot of the times. This is why there's people that have been trying to change their circumstances. <laughs> yes, hi, kitty. <laughs> so, for for years and they get results for a little while and then they lose it and they get results in a little while and you may have experienced this if you've ever uh just in general what i found with a lot of people is they go to a workshop or a treat and they come mm -hmm. back and they're all hyped up and everything's changed they're getting the amazing results and then they lose it yeah the addiction kicks in. That. yeah but the crazy thing is because if you look at it, this going at a quantum level the quantum is affecting the physical when the addiction kicks in, it's not like you feel it in your body. Oh, I need to be miserable again, although sometimes that can happen. What happens is circumstances show up that make you go, ah, oh, and then you get miserable again. And it looks like it's the external circumstance. Oh, that just happened. This person screwed me over. I, I was at the wrong time for this. My car broke down, whatever it is. But you're creating that at a quantum level to feed your addiction. <laughs> so. So is this a matter of we have to learn how to not have negative thoughts or just not have negative expectations? So it's, I mean, there's always going to be negative thoughts. It's about minimizing it. Our brains are actually designed to focus on negative thoughts. Mm. They, they won't be forever because we're going through evolution. But right now we're still at a point where we're our, our, we call it the lizard brain, is still attuned to when we were cavemen. And if you don't watch out for danger when you're a caveman, you die. <laughs> like That's it. It's like saber-toothed tiger. Ah, we'll take care of it later. No, you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't apply in this, this world for the most part for most people. 
but we still function from that way. So we're always on the lookout for the bad. And they've shown that it takes three good thoughts to just cancel out a bad thought and keep you in a neutral space. Wow. Yeah. So you, you have to start having more and more good thoughts, get into a good space, and then you'll start to see better and better results. But the hard part is you're in the middle, or you may be in the middle of these crappy results, and you're like, I have to be, have happy thoughts? You, you think with this going on around me, I'm going to have happy thoughts? No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but that's exactly what you have to do. And do you have a system to help us do that, maybe? Uh, I do. I work with people and I teach uh, brain training techniques oh. to help you focus on the thoughts that you want. Here's the thing. In order to start rewiring the neurons in your brain to change your thought patterns and create new results, you have to be able to hold a thought for a minimum of 30 seconds on the thing you want. Most people can hold a thought for less than seven seconds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can see how that can be a problem. <laughs> 30 seconds sounds short, but not when you're not when you're doing holding on to a one single thought. I guess. One single thought. And 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 like people would think, like I remember when I first did this and um, I was being trained on this, and you they still like just count to 10. Just start with 10 seconds, count to 10. And you're like, okay, one, two, three. This is easy. Oh, damn it. Lost <laughs> it right there. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. so that's that's what happens. And so I have exercises that you can do for two minutes, five minutes, 12 minutes, and you're expected to drift off during the exercise, but you pull yourself back. But the cool thing is some of them are just two minutes long. It, if you're only going for 30 seconds, you don't have to go for three hours of meditation or you know, like how some people do it. It's just like, no, two minutes. And you can do it like before a meeting or mm -hmm. while, you, while you're out for a walk or like, and you don't have to be sitting and meditating. It's something you can do. I will do this while eating. I'll just focus on chewing the food and being in, in that space. And it trains my brain to focus on what I want to do. Very but cool. Here's the thing. You have to do it. And this is, I, I've had people come and work with me and I teach them the skills and there's, I'm not seeing results. Are you doing the exercises? Well, no. Okay. So if I'm I said, about doing the exercises, but yeah. If you came and said, I want to become a bodybuilder, and I say, here's a gym routine, you go, great. And then I come back a month later, and you're like, I haven't seen any improvement. Have you gone to the gym? No. <laughs> I have definitely fallen into this trap where I like, I bought a course. I know I have to actually go through it for it to give me results. And yet there's some part of my mind that's just like, but, but I got it. So yep. now I should be good. Yeah. Just, just having it in the room changes everything. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So when I, I used to call that because I had I had a a, a cupboard uh, with that, and I called it my cupboard of shame. <laughs> it's all the self help stuff that I collected. Oh my goodness! But, uh, so, but, but this uh, are is, this some is of these exercises in the book? The exercises are not in the book, but I have a downloadable where you can get the exercise. The book shows you where you're creating your reality and why you want to create crap. Mm. Right? I know you don't consciously want to create crap, but unconsciously you love your crap. You're addicted to crap. The crap is keeping you safe. Mm. Right. And there's, there's one, one chapter um, where I'm talking about when I worked with three people from the same family and I said, okay, do we do a session all together? I'll work on all three of you go, no, no, our problems are completely different. Mm. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so I worked with the, the first sister and her problem was she's always fighting with her husband. 
And she's like, I, this has to stop. I don't know why it just keeps coming up. I love him, but we're always fighting. And I don't want it to get to a point where we get to a divorce. It turns out that their parents were always fighting. So growing up, she unconsciously created the belief that this is what relationships look like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. So as long as they were fighting, she knew she was in a secure relationship. That's what she had trained herself to think. And I had to make her realize, no, that's just your parents. <laughs> that's the, but she didn't know it was there. She wasn't looking because she didn't, she didn't make the association. She just thought I keep fighting with my husband. And so we, we've shifted that in her relationship with her, her husband improved. The other sister couldn't get into a relationship and she couldn't find figure out why she says, I, I, I know I'm an attractive woman. Uh, there's guys I'm attracted to. They don't seem to be attracted to me or, or it starts off and then something goes wrong and we break up, but I can never hold that relationship. Well, her parents used to fight, <laughs> still fought, still fought. And so her belief is if I get into a relationship, I will end up fighting with my partner. So she mm -hmm. kept cutting her relationships off unconsciously so that she didn't have to fight with her partners. So right? they took completely different messages from the same circumstances. Exactly. Right. And we don't realize we do this. This is why kids all could turn out differently because they're in the same place, but they take the different, their own interpretation. Mm -hmm. So I had to work with her on that, that that's not what all relationships look like. Your relationship could be wonderful. So now she could go out and date people. The brother would have fainting spells. Ooh. And so it's like, this has got nothing to do with anything else that we're doing. This is completely different. Well, as it turns out, the parents used to fight. <laughs> so, you don't say. Yes. <laughs> and when he was a little kid, he would get trapped in the rooms with the parent and want to get out, but couldn't physically. So he figured I can get out mentally and he'd pass out whenever the parents fought. And now he uses that whenever there's a stressful situation he doesn't want to be involved with, he'll just fall, just pass out. He'll leave his body. It's his solution. Wow. Right. So every one of them, the problem they thought they had was actually the solution they had come up with when they were kids. Oh my goodness. And they didn't want to lose that because then they'd lose the solution and they'd end up where they don't want to be. Yeah, <laughs> right? especially as a kid, even if your circumstances change, you get very connected to those solutions that you came up with yeah. when you're that young. So this, and this is the thing that that's the, the biggest message in the book is that any consistent problem in your life is a solution for an emotional problem you're not seeing. That is fascinating. I love that. Talk about a reframe. That's amazing. <laughs> well, when you get this, you stop asking, why is this happening to me? Or what am I doing wrong? You start asking, well, why do I want this? What problem is this solving? And that's when your subconscious starts to bubble up the answers and you're like, oh, I get it. This is what's going on. <laughs> yes. Wow. That's really cool. So how did you get started in this field? Uh, similar thing. I had a big problem that wasn't I wasn't able to solve because I got rheumatoid arthritis when I was 22 years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it was it came on suddenly while I was in university and within months, there was intense physical pain in every single joint in my body, like not a single joint spared. There were nights where I'd sip my dinner through a straw because my jaw was so swollen and painful, right? That's how bad I'm, and I, deterioration happened. The cartilage started to, to wear away, the bones deformed, this, this just went on and nothing could solve it. So I tried medication, I tried diet supplements, I tried things like acupuncture eventually, yoga, magnets, and, I would have results for a little while and then I'd lose it. 
It's like my body became immune to whatever treatment I was using. And it wasn't until almost 20 years later that I met the guy that would change my definition of reality because I, I heard about this program over in India and I flew over there. And because it was India, I expected him to do some sort of lay of hands like, hey, heal, Shiraz, heal. <laughs> but, and I was ready for that too. But he, didn't do that. He, just, he just talked to me for two weeks and he went through my entire life history and it was like being with a psychiatrist, except he wasn't trying to solve anything. He was just gathering the information. And at the end of the two weeks, he says, well, Shiraz, you think you're responsible for everyone in your life. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. He goes, yeah, I know you don't think that consciously, but from everything you've told me, you've created this belief that you need to be responsible for everyone in your life. And it started when you were eight years old. So I said, okay, I know I'm a responsible guy, but I don't think I'm responsible for everyone. And what does this even have to do with arthritis? And he said, oh, you don't want to be responsible for everyone. I went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, and if you're lying in bed in pain, you don't have to be responsible for anyone and you don't have to feel guilty about it. If people see you struggling just to get through the day on your own, they're not going to ask you to take care of them. This is the solution to the problem you don't realize you have. And that was the first time I'd, I'd seen it framed that way. That's what, when I realized what was going on. And so, because again, your mind prioritizes avoiding emotional distress over physical circumstances. I would have felt guilt if I was capable of helping everyone and not doing it. So arthritis solves that problem. Now I'm incapable. <laughs> and so when he pointed that out, I said, okay, well, if what you're saying is true, all I have to do is say, I'm not going to be responsible for anyone but me. And the arthritis should just go away. And I'm not really believing this is just going to go away. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, yes. If you truly believe it deep down, Ooh. then you won't need the arthritis. So I summoned my will and I said, I'm not going to be responsible for anyone but me. And you know what happened in that moment? Nothing. You didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Your subconscious did not believe that. I did not believe it. But it sank in. I woke up the next morning, no pain, no, um, no inflammation, more mobility. And I could even breathe better. I could physically get more air into my lungs. It was really weird. And so I'm freaking out. Like, what, what just happened? An 18-year-old illness does not go away overnight. It's impossible. And yet, there I was. Because I given, impossible. Yeah, well, I know nothing's impossible now. I, I, I do miracles and magic all the time now, and it's fun. But it's it just it was just crazy to me then. And but that was it. I didn't need the arthritis because I decided, and it's not that I'm not, I said, I'm not going to be responsible for people. That was what I said. But the belief was, I don't have to be guilty if I can't help everyone. Mm. All right. And giving up that guilt got rid of the arthritis. Wow. So, so did you train with the same person or? No, no, he was just there. It was funny because the program he ran, it actually stopped. The three people that founded it went off into the world to do help to help other people in bigger ways. And he happened to be visiting on vacation while I was there. So I'm like, I don't care that you're on vacation. You're helping me. <laughs> and then he left again. So I just started to investigate other modalities. Um, I, I did uh, access consciousness, fifth dimensional energy healing, theta healing, uh, uh, movement feedback therapy, 
of therapy and, and a bunch of others. And, but everything just seemed uh, too much, like too many movements, too much form. Um, some, some of them weren't as powerful as I thought they could be. And mm -hmm. so I started saying, okay, what, what's not necessary? What can we strip away so that we get down to just the basic thing you need to know and do it in the most powerful way possible? And I created this technique called energetic magic. And with it, I've been able to create significant change in people in as little as five minutes. So we went from that two weeks of talking to get to that belief. I've done it in five minutes for people. Wow. You've really yeah. refined this process. That's amazing. Yeah. It's actually uh, just yesterday. I got a note from someone that I'd done a five minute process on. And she said, uh, uh, oh my God, Shiraz, thank you for helping me. Um, my, the right side of my body released. My sciatic is releasing. My body is realigning. Uh, dude, I am flexible now. The chiropractors have no idea <laughs> why I was so tense or why it's gone. <laughs> right? So fantastic yeah so the book kind of helps us to understand the underlying philosophy the process like what what is actually happening so i imagine if people read the book first mm -hmm. they're probably coming to you for help afterwards with a lot more understanding of what to expect from the work yeah. with you so the book is the book is actually set up because it's about becoming the author of the stories in your life right so like so it's set up in story metaphors. So chapter one, reality is a bunch of stories. Chapter two, your backstory. Chapter three, your genre. Ooh. Chapter four, your archetype. Chapter five, your purpose. Chapter six, your supporting characters. Chapter seven, past, present, and future tense. Chapter eight, driving the, uh, the narrative. Chapter nine, plot holes. And chapter 10, happily ever after. Oh my gosh, that's so great. So, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when you start to learn everything, I, I've, I've, I've put it in metaphors because everyone understands stories, right? So everything is in that story metaphor. And then there are stories within the stories of the metaphor. <laughs> so Amazing. As an author, I definitely um, approve. Thank you. <laughs> that sounds great. I definitely want to get a copy. So where is the best place to pick up the book? Is it your website or Amazon? Does it's it on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. And if people wanted to learn more about working with you, where should they go next? They can go to energeticmagic.com. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So simple. Yeah, I try to make it simple. <laughs> and do you have any last advice that you would like to impart and leave for everyone? Sure. Remember, you're addicted to your current circumstances. One thing you're also addicted to is your current emotional state. You go through a bunch of different emotions every day, but you have one emotion that's your default emotion and your body is physically addicted to it. You actually have receptors on the cells to receive the chemicals that are associated with that emotion. Mm. So if it's not happiness and joy, you need to start creating happiness and joy in your life in big ways. And here's the thing. The cells are going to find out you're not being frustrated or angry or hopeless anymore. And they're going to send a signal to your brain to say, make this person frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and things will start to show up to make you frustrated. you got to let that all go and stay in that happy place until happiness becomes your default emotion. And again, you won't be happy all the time. You're going to go through a whole bunch of emotions every single day. But if happiness is your default, you get better results. And who doesn't want to be happy as their default emotion? Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So I think yeah. I have actually experienced that and and managed to get to a different place without knowing that that's what was happening. But I I definitely noticed um, in my twenties, especially in college, feeling good when I was really beating up on myself, mm. like you are the worst and I hate you and you're awful and like really just pounding on it and that the pain of that felt kind of good yeah which was so confusing and so it sounds like it was something similar to this but thankfully I have I have healed from that and I have a very happy life now and I do think that I'm pretty happy by default um even though of course I do have my moments well, and this is the thing, when you were beating yourself up, you're putting out chemicals that were hitting your cells and your cells were like, oh, yes. So your body was in this weird state of joy in your misery. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. So, And I can even see to... how that had an emotional component where it was a mechanism to keep me safe, to keep mm -hmm. me um, feeling you know, I was kind of afraid of being too, having too much and having more than other people and having more joy than other people. So it was definitely a, a keeping me in a safe place uh, on every level. So and yeah, yeah, it's so interesting to see your frame on it and say, oh, yeah, I see how that makes sense. It's It's very clear. And it's, it's funny because that's what we get taught exactly what you're saying don't don't have too much right um don't let other people get jealous or feel insecure around you because you're so so happy or wonderful or or wealthy or whatever and that's all crap <laughs> <laughs> right? the the better we are as a person and in our lives the more we can inspire people to come up to us but we get taught to come down to them yeah I, I don't know where I, I mean, I think that it was a very, not an intentional message, yeah. but just something that, however, my little baby brain was interpreting things that I came away with that, with that sense. Yeah. I mean, but things you, you may have got it as an interpretation. You may have actually been taught it by your parents to keep you safe, right? A lot of parents teach their kids, you know, don't, be over the top because people won't be able to handle you if you want to be able to fit in you've mm. got to be like this but then you look at the people that are most successful in the world the people you admire the most in the world how many of them fit in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? but that so. success it can be its own kind of danger so probably our parents want to keep us at like a a midline <laughs> you're yeah. just successful enough you're not like sticking your neck out my, no, my parents, my parents and my family, my friends, they always tried to pull me down when I was doing crazy things. But after I'd done it enough times, they're just like, I just let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how he is. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm excited to read your book. So thank you so much for sharing this insight with us today. Oh, thank you for having me on your show. All right. We will say goodbye. All right. Bye-bye.